0: So we are in Acts chapter 10. We're gonna make it through chapter 11, verse 18. So a little ways to go. A couple months ago, I made a quick run up to Portland. I didn't leave until Thursday after work at five. So I went up there, had to pick something up and turn around and come right back down. And when I was driving home, I hadn't driven a long distance at night, in a while, and I can hardly see. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going blind. I need to go and see Dr. Dan Vidlak, because this is really dangerous, I should slow down. But I'm late, so I'm not going to. So I'm just thinking, oh great, you know, something's happened, I'm 46, things are changing, I'm getting old, my eyes are going. And I stopped to get some fuel and I'm, I'm filling up, and this guy comes up to me and he goes, hey, Did you know you got a front headlight out? I was like, really? Yeah, thank you. I think he called the cops on me. Like, I think the guy's drunk because I told him bad news. He got really happy. (laughs) Like sometimes we have blind spots that we don't even know are there. And you need somebody else to be like, did you know that? It's gonna happen to Peter. Peter has a blind spot and he's a mega church pastor. He's the big dude. He... Introduce the gospel to the world in chapter two. 3,000 people believe. The church just grows and grows and grows and grows, but he's got a major blind spot. And it's not Dr. Dan Vidlak <laughs> that's going to help him. It's the great physician. That like God himself is going to say, I, I got to open your eyes to something you've been missing. And I said last week in chapter nine, Luke is doing something. Before Peter gets corrected, Luke is showing this dude is a really dynamic individual. He shares the gospel, people get saved. A guy's lame, he prays for him, gets healed. A woman is dead, he prays for her, she gets resurrected. So Luke is setting up like, listen, Peter may have a blind spot, but he's still a stud. He's still brilliant. He's still a great, great man of God. I think it's very important for us to understand that when it comes to ministry because our tendency is this, is to put certain people up onto pedestals and act like they're something that they're not. Every pedestal is always made of clay. At some point, it's gonna get shaken and it's gonna break and then you'll look at that man or woman and be like, oh, I'm so disappointed in them. When in reality, it's no, they're human too. They're in process, they're being sanctified, they're moving forward. And, and our job is not to get mad at them and quit Our job is to realize there's one hero and it's Jesus. And he's the one that does not have feet of clay and everyone else does. And that our job is Philippians 1.10, it says this, to approve the things that are excellent. Yeah, I know, I know Peter has that blind spot, but man, you should hear him preach. Or wow, I know, yeah, but. That's the way we're supposed to do with everyone. Approve the things that are excellent. And Peter has been given by Jesus, Matthew 16, the keys. And he unlocks the kingdom to the Jews in chapter two. And he unlocks the kingdom to the Samaritans in chapter eight. And now he'll unlock the kingdom. A little bit forcefully by God, he'll unlock the kingdom to the Gentiles. So it's a brilliant passage. Let's jump in. Verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who's called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. We get kind of the behind the scenes preparation of what makes chapter 10 work. Very often in life, there's a lot of behind the scene preparation that we don't know about, that actually makes people successful. So on Friday, I had lunch with one of my daughters, and we are talking about this idea in history, and it's, it's this. Do great men make history, or does history make great men? It's a very debated topic in, with historians. I'm sure you guys are very familiar with it. You've probably read about it today. And the idea is, do great men bend history to their own will? They have such force of character, that they actually make history, they just bend it to their will? Or rather, does history have certain things that allow a man with his talents or a woman with her abilities to make history because of the opportunity given to them? And people go both sides. I think history makes great men and history makes great people. I just think the example I gave my daughter was Bill Gates, Bill Gates, he's a great, he, he, our lives have been radically transformed because of Bill Gates. If it was not for Bill Gates, computers would not be nearly as big as they are. Like it's radically changed the world. Bill Gates has. Now why? Was he a man that bent history to his own will? No. he's born in Seattle, middle-class family. After school, he had access to one of the first public computer labs in the world. So he's able to go in there as a 14-year-old and like on a computer, no one else had that in the early 1970s, right? And with that, he took no, no doubt advantage of the opportunities, but without all those things, if Bill Gates had been born 10 years earlier or 100 years earlier in Seattle, he'd have been killed, right? Because he's a nerd. He wouldn't have made it with the gunslingers. But he's born at the right time with a computer lab, middle-class family that's, that is able to give him the freedom after school, not to go to a job, but to go play on a computer. And history's made by him, right? Winston Churchill, He was rejected until World War II, right? No one wanted him until history needed him. I just, it's the way it is. Which for me, which for me gives me real great cause to be humble. I have a saying to staff and it's this, that we reap in fields that we have not sown in, John chapter four. That we have the ability very often to see people saved or see things happen, not because we did great things, but just simply because some great saints before us had sown in and done really good things and been super faithful, and maybe they're unnamed, and now we're just there in September or October when the harvest is ready. So you gotta keep your head small. So God here is orchestrating these events behind history to make sure Peter's successful awesome. So here's what we we get this. This is what Luke does. Number one, he gives us the bio of this man. He's a centurion of the Italian cohort. Now this means that he's seal team six. He is the 82nd airborne. He's a really, really studly dude, but it's more than that. Here's what Luke is doing as a historian. He's giving a bibliography. So they didn't have bibliographies like we do now, like, okay, cite your reference, do it according to the style, whatever. This is the bibliography. He's saying, go check this dude out. I just gave you his address. I just gave you the kind of guy he is. I gave you his name. Go to the same town, Caesarea, and ask him if this is true. That's exactly what Luke is doing. Check up on me if you want to. I love that. Check up. Number two, I love when the angel shows up What Cornelius does, are angels like these chubby little things you see on the Sistine Chapel? Like cute little, like with little arrows, bink. Remember who this dude is. He's been a soldier in Roman wars. They fought war like we cannot imagine today. The, read the battle of Cannae, it's unbelievable. An entire Roman army is surrounded by the Carthage army, and they said for 36 hours straight. What happened is that Carthage army just slowly went in and killed 80,000 people. Just came in from the outside. It's it's one of the most you know it's a very studied battle because of how Hannibal did it. But he neutralized their forces because now they had the numbers, but because he surrounded them, the only ones that could fight were on the outer ring but it was for 36 hours, hand-to-hand combat, looking a dude in the eye, fighting with your sword until one of you are dead. Now it's screens and scopes, right? We look at a TV screen or a computer screen and send a missile or it's through a scope a long ways away. That's not the way battle was back then. Brutal, this guy saw things you couldn't imagine. He sees this angel and what does he do? He is terrorized, right? He's terrified. You ever been terrified? There's one time that I, like I thought that I was gonna have a heart attack. I was trying to surf in Mexico. That's all I ever tried to do. I just try to surf. I don't actually surf, I try to surf. And so I'm out there and the water there's really clear unlike the Oregon coast. Oregon coast is better to surf in because you can't see, which is better. So I'm out there and, I'm, and I see this dark shape. It's about 12 feet long, I think, maybe 50 feet long. It was long. It went right underneath me. And I mean, just as my heart leapt. So Jesus has walked on water. Peter walked on water. I walked on water. I just, (laughs) board up there. I'm done. (laughs) Right, terror. That's the kind of terror. This guy who had seen multiple battles, hand to hand, eye to eye with the man who wants to kill you. He sees this angel and he's terrorized. Here's the good news. They're on our side. That's the good news. There is a real spiritual battle. Read Daniel 9, actually read Daniel 7, 8, 9, and 10. It tells us about that spiritual battle. It it, there's a real spiritual battle. Praise God, these guys are on our side. Number three, Luke tells us he's a really good guy, right? He prays, fears God, gives generously, leads his household, He's a really good guy, right? So here's what it means to be a God-fearer. And it's gonna come up a couple more times. A God-fearer was somebody who was not a Jew that went to the synagogue, that studied the Torah, that obeyed the rules, but they never got circumcised, right? So they'd be like, Cornelius would be in there. He'd be checking it out. He'd be like, hey, I really like this thing. How do I become a member? You gotta be circumcised. You know, I think I'll just be a God-fearer, actually, so he, he, that was the line. He's like, nah, I can't do that. Nope, nope. So he's, he's right there. And here's what we find out. Prayer and generosity matter to God. Your prayers and your generosity, God has remembered them. I've remembered them. I've seen them. So when I start looking at like, what, what does God remember? These two things are huge. Prayer and Generosity. I hope we're a generous, praying congregation and that God remembers them and we see stuff like this happen. Fourthly and lastly, he needs to be converted. The angel does not come and say, bro, you are a good guy. You're giving, you're praying, you're generous. Hey, that's awesome. Keep it up, you're fine. Just keep on keeping on. You're on the right road. You just keep doing this, everything's good. Angel doesn't say that, does it? Go get Peter because you need to be converted. You need to be saved. I think good people are harder to convert than bad people. And both good people and bad people hurt society. Do you know that? Bad people hurt society because they're evil and they increase suffering and chaos, right? But then good people, here's what happens to a good person. They become self-righteous and judgmental. Or they become kind of neurotic because then they feel so much guilt about not being as good as they think they should be. So both of those are bad situations and both of them, you gotta be saved. So this angel, hey, not you're a good guy, keep on going. Get saved. And the angel does not share the gospel. Do you notice that? The angel could have very well said, hey, believe on Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. Your sins will be forgiven. He says, send down and get this guy down in Joppa named Peter and bring him back. God has chosen in this time to use people. I don't know why. I think angels would do a much better job of it. But God has said, I'm gonna partner with you guys in building my kingdom. In fact, even in chapter nine, when Jesus appears to Saul, knocks him on the ground, sends him into Damascus, he then grabs Ananias and says, you go down there and share the gospel with him and pray for him. And that's when he actually gets saved. God has chosen to use you and me. It's awesome. So now, sends, sends a soldier. Some people say this, because Cornelius is the boss. And he's gonna say, Peter, you're coming with me whether you want it or not. That he has that kind of power. He has jurisdiction over this area. He could literally say, not, you're coming, period. He doesn't have to do that, but he sends a soldier. Could be, because he's preparing for that. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. Love that. Such us, isn't it? Pray, hunger, eat, tired. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. We did this on Sunday, a couple of these things, but it's this flying zoo, right? That just descends this flying zoo. In my mind, I always see a crocodile and a bat on it because the law says you can't eat bats. It's probably, has anyone broken that commandment? Look at you guys, saints, saints, commandment keepers, God fearers, right? I always see those, I think it's because of flannel graph. Remember the flannel graph? Greatest technology ever in, in, in the church, no doubt about it. I just remember like crocodiles, like a little crocodile, and like everything you couldn't eat was on it. So all that comes down. Peter sees it. He's like, hmm, it goes away. And he's, he's unsure, did I pass that or fail? God told me to do this. I didn't do it because I thought I'm not supposed to. There's no closure. So it says verse 17. Now Peter was inwardly perplexed. And what the vision that he had seen might mean. And behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man, who is well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. So now you've got Peter up there going to sleep, having a vision, right when he wakes up from the vision, there's a knock on the door and it's God's timing. Know this, when stuff like this is happening in your life and just things are falling into too much order, pay attention, God's doing something. And it's been 10 years really in the making, this has taken 10 years for the door to open, but it's the right time. I think the hardest thing for people to do when it comes to the walk that we are on is to wait, isn't it? We want it and we want it now. But very often God's working things behind the scenes that we have to allow him to work out for things to get to the right spot. And if we get, jump ahead of God, look out. And I faced this. So I came back from Bonawatu in 1999, December November of 99. And I was ready to start a church. I'm like, I'm ready, let's go. And just trying to do that, uh, get married. Um, opportunities don't seem to be there. And then I went and visited a friend out in Saratoga, New York, Rick Cohen. Great guy, love him. So we went there, we stayed some time with his family, my family, my two girls, my wife at that time. We're hanging out, he's asking me, what do you wanna do? I'm like, I'd like to start a church. Okay, come back here, keep working. Get a call from him like three months later. He's like, I got an opportunity for you. I'm like, Really? yeah, a pastor stepping down from a church. It's only like 30 people. It's existed for like 10 years. He's just done with it. And they need a new pastor. And I think I could get you the job if you wanted it. And I'm just jumping for joy. I'm like, yeah, right on, let's do it. And my wife had told me that She said, I'll go with you to start a church, but two conditions. It needs to be close to family. And if we're gonna move somewhere, we need to move somewhere warmer. I'm like, Okay. So I said, Rick, where's it at? He said, it's in Burlington, Vermont. (laughs) Burlington, Vermont, right? (laughs) I'm like, I'm still pretty excited. And I told my wife and I'm crying for joy. She's crying for another reason, right? And I'm like, let's do it, man. Let's do this. You never know. This might be, this might be, come on. And so I'm stoked. Calls me back three days, three days later. Sorry. An elder of the church stepped up and took it. I'm like, oh man. Now I'm so glad, praise God, I'm so glad not to live in Burlington, Vermont. Patience, let God be working the things he needs to work. I even think about like when Edgewater birth, there was a lot of stuff happening right then. I think, well, it was the right time in hindsight. It was the right time. If we wait for God, very often he has something better for us. And here's what I love. Peter has this vision. He's kind of unsure about it. And then it gets confirmed by these three guys coming. If someone tells you they heard from the Lord or they had a vision from the Lord or whatever it is, pray for confirmation. Pray for confirmation. My favorite account of this is in Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah is a prophet. He hears from God. He speaks God's word, right? And then he is told by God, go by your uncle's field." And Jeremiah's like, that's a bad idea right now because the Babylonians are gonna come and they're gonna destroy this place. No one's buying land right right now, God. Everyone's trying to sell land. Are you sure about that? I want you to buy land. What God is actually saying to Jeremiah is this, I'm bringing you back. You're gonna buy this land because I'm bringing my people back. It's to be a living example of faith that you're coming back. So he's like, I'm not too sure about that. Then his cousin came and is like, hey, buy my dad's property. And it says Jeremiah knew that it was the word of the Lord. Pray for confirmation. If something is stirring in your heart, you've had a vision, your idea, a dream, whatever it is, pray, God, confirm this. Please confirm it. So that happens for Peter. So the next day, he rose and went away with him. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So he packs out the house. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. And he talked with him and went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So here's the meeting. Up to this point, Every time Peter is in a crowd of people, what does he do? He preaches. This time he doesn't. He's like, why, why, why'd you want me here? Every other time, man, Peter, the, as soon as he can, he'll answer a question, and then immediately he will get right to preaching the gospel. But here he's like, hmm, I don't know. And he says this in verse 28. He says, you know, it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. Is that in the Torah? Is there a verse in the Torah that says, don't visit people of another nation? Uh Uh-uh. But it had become law by now. Now the Torah does warn. It says, be careful of the relationships that you make with other nations because they might draw you into idolatry, and what had happened was this. That caution had had rules put around it. All right, well, if, it's, if that's bad, do a, do, we might fall into idolatry, then we better just not even eat with them. The moment you take a caution sign in the Bible and turn it into a stop sign, you become a legalist. You've got into legalism. And this legalism, in this case, actually led to racism. We don't like those people. We don't wanna be around those people. It's actually very, very sad to me. So to protect people from the danger of idolatry because of the Gentiles, they had now made more rules around, hey, be careful. Now it was, you can't, it's unlawful for you to go visit them. Don't hang out with them, period. Don't be friends with them. It's a bummer to me. We have to be careful of this because it actually limited for 10 years the ministry of the Bible. It limited God. So maybe, maybe here's the analogy that I'll use. And it comes from a, a long time ago with one of my daughters, Carissa. We were in Hawaii for the first time and she was like six years old. And my daughter had always played at the beach in Brookings and now she's gonna be at the beach in Hawaii. And she was really spunky, like just kind of brave. So I was a little worried about that. Like this is gonna be like warm water so the cold water won't like freeze her and keep her out of the water. So I had to kind of like put a little fear into her. So I'm like, sweetie, um, remember this about Hawaii, there's sneaker waves. So the waves will be all small, and then all of a sudden this giant 50 foot wave will come up and smash you, right? So never turn your back on the ocean. Always have your eyes out on the ocean because you never know when a big wave's gonna come. I say, look out for undertoes. You'll feel it, it'll start to like suck you out. If that happens, start screaming and yelling, I'll come get you. I said, don't trust that I'll have my eye on you, I'm a dad. I will forget that you even exist for a while. So you have to pay attention. It only takes two tablespoons of liquid in your lungs to drown you. Okay, so I'd set all that up. So after like three or four days of making sandcastles, I'm bored, I'm like, oh man, I wanna do something else. So I bought a boogie board. I'm like, sweetie, let's go boogie boarding. And she's like, but what about sneaker waves? And undertoes. I'm like, don't worry about that. I'm with you, all right? So, so I'm trying to like pull her out. And she's like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to. And now people are kind of looking over like, what is he doing? And I knew I should have like just gone and made a sandcastle. But I also realized if I took her really quick out to where the waves were breaking, no one could hear her screaming. So that's what I did. So I get her out there and I'm like, okay, sweetie, so this is gonna be super fun. And she's like, I don't know, dad. What about secret waves? What about, ah, ah. I'm like, trust me, it's gonna be okay. So I finally get her on the boogie board. And she's facing out toward the ocean. And then I spin her around. No, dad, I'm supposed to face out. To the- I'm never supposed to turn my back on the ocean. So I just pushed her into a wave. And she took off and boogie boarded in. And she's loved the ocean ever since. <laughs> Life is like the ocean. Some people look at the ocean, they're like, danger, sneaker waves, danger. And so they make all kinds of rules to keep people from enjoying the ocean because of what could happen out there. Other people see the ocean, they say, that's an adventure. God made it for me. I'm gonna enjoy it. To me, that's the difference. Legalism, what legalism does is it makes the ocean dangerous, look out. And it makes God like an accountant. Like he's keeping these rules. Like, uh, did, did, did you do all the rules right? Oh, F for you, you failed in one point. And it's amazing to me how there is still in me from my upbringing, like these little things that still kind of rear their head in my life. So if you were in any kind of youth group in the 1980s, you watched Hell's Bells. Hell's Bells one, Hell's Bells two, and Hell's Bells three. Do you remember those? And what they said was this, all secular music is straight from the pit of Satan. And it has backmasking in it, and if you listen to it too long, you will go over and kill your neighbor. <laughs> right? So to this day, there are still like I'll be listening to I'm like, "No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Why am I doing that to myself? But it's ingrained in me. Tribal stuff. I was told as a kid, like, Satan. It's a portal for demons. If you have some kind of tribal art in your room, it becomes a portal where like the demon can come into your house and get you. So even to this day, I'm like, oh, uh, tr- yeah, tribal stuff. We, weren't, we didn't celebrate Easter and Christmas because they were pagan, right? So it's still like, still, uh, uh. I have to keep telling myself. Playing cards. Do you know playing cards are demonic? <laughs> yep. You start handling those playing cards, pretty soon seven feathers and you're bankrupt, okay? <laughs> Just warning you. All right, so all these things, like what, what it does is it makes the oceans dangerous and God's an accountant and he will get you. I think it's wrong. I think the ocean is a great adventure and life's supposed to be fun and we're supposed to go out there because our God is a heavenly father who says, I want you to have a blast. I want you to grow and learn, no doubt, but I also want you to have happy times, fun times, and enjoy everything that I've given to you. To me, that's the big difference between a legalist and someone who says, I just believe in Jesus, that he came to give me life and it more abundantly. And if I'm following Jesus and wanting the kingdom, then I'm pretty safe. Yes, there's things I need to be doing, no doubt, but be very careful of legalism. It always limits what God wants you to be doing. So that happens to Peter. I'm not allowed in this place, not true, Peter gets freed from that. And what we'll find is this. He actually starts hanging out in Antioch instead of Jerusalem. He's freed from this kind of legalist. I can't be in this place. I'm not supposed to do that. And he starts, man, I love in an Antioch. I love these people. I love the food. It's awesome. Praise God for shrimp. Man, crab, this is great. So he gets set free. So now, why'd you send for me? Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, by the way, the hour that the angel shows up, it's 3 p.m., which was an hour of prayer. Most likely, Cornelius, a man who's known for praying, was praying when the angel showed up. Just a little, hmm. When angels show up? Well, maybe. I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, your alms have been remembered. Before God, send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were possessed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Will we eat and drink in the kingdom? Absolutely. Absolutely. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Real quick, I'm running out of time. Peter here says this. He goes, You guys remember Jesus, right? He says, literally in verse 37, You yourselves know about Jesus. Why? Verse 38, He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. They're like, Yeah, oh, yeah, we totally remember. We remember that guy, Jesus. Yeah, He had a reputation of doing good. What do people remember? I think I listen to, I, I average 500 sermons a year. You remember in the sermons? The good works people did. Like that. What, that's actually what sticks. Yes, the theology, and yes, yes, I love that. But I remember the stories, like I'll give you one. It's one of my favorites when I heard it. It's Tony Campalo. He goes over to Hawaii. He's got a speech, speaking engagement. It's three hours different time, so he's up at 2.30 goes down to this little diner, orders a cup of coffee. Drinking the coffee. At about 3.30, in comes this crew of women. Women of the night, no doubt about it. And they come in, they look like it. Their their stuff is done, so they're kind of hanging out. And they come right up to the counter beside him and they're rambunctious. And one of them right next to him was like, hey, tomorrow's my 39th birthday. Another one of them was like, so? Who cares? What do you want us to do, throw you a party? She's like, no, I've never had a birthday party. I'm not expecting a birthday party. Why are you giving me such a hard time? They kind of you know, do their thing and they leave. So Tony Kampala's finishing his coffee. Harvey the owner, he's like, Harvey, did you know those ladies? He goes, Oh yeah, they come in here every morning at 3:30 a.m. Oh. He goes, well, I got an idea. Did you know the one on the, the, the very far left that was next to me? Yeah, Agnes. He goes, I want to throw Agnes a birthday party tomorrow. He's like, that is a great idea, mister. Calls his white outfit out in the back. Hey, honey, come here. This guy wants to throw a birthday party for Agnes. She comes out. She's like, that is an awesome idea. She's good people. She's been mistreated. She's had a hard life. She's good people. that's a great idea. So Tony said, can I come back tomorrow and decorate the place beforehand? Yes. And Tony said, well, I'll bring a cake too. And Harvey said, no way. That's my job. I'll make the cake. So next day, Tony goes there, decorates the whole place up. On the nose, 3.30, they send out the word to everybody. They're all packed in this little diner. 3.30 on the nose, in comes the crew. And right when she comes in, they start singing happy birthday to her. She just buckles, sits down. She can't believe it. Tears are coming down. They bring the cake out. She blows out the candles and they're ready to cut it. And she's like, no, 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 no. Don't cut the cake. Can I please take the cake home? I just wanna take the cake home. And I say, okay. So she grabs the cake and runs out the door with the cake. So everybody's like looking at Tony now like, Okay, what now? And he says, can we pray for her? So they all gather up right there and he just prays for her. He says, Jesus, we, our hearts break for what men have done to Agnes. And we wanna see her become a new creation in Jesus Christ. And he prays for her. And Harvey, after he's done praying, says, "Compalo, I didn't know you were a preacher. He goes, what kind of church do you belong to? he said, the kind of church, he said, in a moment of inspiration, he goes, the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 (laughs) a.m. To which Harvey said, no, you don't. No, you don't, because I'd go to that church. What do we remember? Good works. Good works. He assumes, you guys remember what Jesus did, because he went around doing good works. We preach the good news and we practice good works. It's James chapter two. You cannot divorce the two. That's a powerful, powerful message. Preach the good news and practice good works. It's what Jesus did. And Peter just brings this back up. Remember Dorcas in chapter nine? They're like, we gotta have her back. Was she the preacher? Mm-mm. She's the one that did lots of good things for us. Peter, you gotta resurrect her. It's the good news preached and good works practiced. So he preaches that. He gets to, interesting to me, the forgiveness of sins. When he hits the forgiveness of sins to me, that's all the Holy Spirit needs. All right, you got the message now. And then boom, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, he's brought a crew of six people with him who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So Peter is shocked. He's in the middle of preaching. He's the one guy in the Bible who has been interrupted by Jesus, Matthew 16. The Father, Matthew 17. And the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 10. The only one, all three members of the Trinity is like, okay, pipe down. You've said enough. Let's get to work. So these guys... Holy Spirit falls on them and they do two things. They praise God and they speak in tongues. Don't make the mistake of saying every time there's salvation in the Bible, in the book of Acts, they're speaking in tongues because they're not. When Saul gets saved, later to become Paul, he does not speak in tongue. When the Ethiopian gets saved, he does not speak in tongue. And we'll see more where people don't speak in tongues. The reason why you see praise and tongues in Acts 10 is because it's exactly what happened in Acts chapter two. They spoke in tongues, praising God. So what's being said here is this. The Gentiles get the exact same salvation and spirit as the Jews. Exactly the same, by faith through grace. Okay, that's what's being said. So real quick, this is what happens. Verse 11, or chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers This is just a repeat. It's just gonna recap and then I'll be done. Now, the apostles and brothers who are throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God, right? It riles them up. Here's why. Think about this for one second. I'll try to put it like this. Let's say say you have worked your tail off to be something. You wanna be a politician? You wanna be county commissioner, right? So you have volunteered hours, you got educated, you went through the process, you were city council for a while, you you did all this work for years and years and years, 20 years, and finally, lots of payoff, you get elected county commissioner. You're like, whew, that was a lot of work. You're sitting at the table with the other three county commissioners, you're like, man, how'd you guys do it? And one of them says, bro, I was just walking down the street. This guy came up to me and says, you want to be county commissioner? I said, yeah. He just gave it to me. How would you feel? You'd be like, what? That's so unfair. That's the Jews. What? For 1500 years, we've been following the Torah. We've been faithful and unfaithful at times. We've been going to synagogue. We've, are you, and you're just gonna give it away now? That's how they're feeling. And if you think about it like that, there's legitimate reason. Like we feel chipped, are you kidding us? So that's how they feel. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, The circumcision party, which is such a great name because it's not a party, criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from the heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up into the heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were and, and sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction these six brothers, he took some witnesses with him, also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and say, send a Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. As I began to speak, he just began, <laughs> the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us, At the beginning, very important. It's another Acts chapter two, another Pentecost. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I then that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So I can just see them stroking their beards. They're just going, what? Oi, they And it launches. We're gonna see the launch now of the gospel out into the known world. Peter will disappear. I believe because when Peter opened the door for the Gentiles, it shut the, gen, the, shut the door to the Jews. They didn't want to hear him anymore. So James has to step up and become the pastor of the church at Jerusalem because Peter's just, people are like, oh, I, don't, I don't like what you did. I don't like that anymore. So Peter, I think personally, has to sacrifice himself to open the door to the Gentiles. And then Paul gets to build on that sacrifice and take it to the next level. That's my own personal thought of what happens because Peter will disappear completely and he won't be in Jerusalem anymore. It will be James and the crew at Jerusalem. I think that happens very often. That sometimes the first guy in, first gal in, they're sacrificed. And it's the next person that actually gets to build on the foundation they laid and find success. Martin Luther would have never had success if it was not for John Haas and John Wycliffe and Jerome of Prague. And those guys, some of them were killed because of what they said. They were saying the same things as Martin Luther, and it was their sacrifice that laid a foundation that allowed the Reformation. It's a brilliant text, brilliant. And I'd say this to you, if you're waiting for something, sometimes it takes a long time. It took 10 years to get right here, but it was the right time, and God did something better. And Peter evangelizes Cornelius, and Cornelius is changed, but isn't Peter changed in the process? Totally, he's set free. He's set free from a legalistic mindset that had him trapped. When you share the gospel, it is so powerful. Yes, it will change the people you're talking to, but it'll also heal and save you as well. That's the brilliance of sharing the gospel. You always get a benefit from it. You always get changed by it as well. Share the gospel, go out, preach the good news and practice good works and let's take our city. So Father, we thank you for the truth that you, know, you show no partiality, rich, poor, Male, female, freed slave, Greek, Jew, barbarian, Ethiopian, American. You show no distinction. That your desire is to see all people come to salvation. And we get the privilege of being the bearers of that good news coupled with our good works. So may we be an army sent out tonight to share the good news, to live in good works, and to receive great joy because we're partnering with our King. So go with us, we pray. And I ask this in your name, amen. God bless you guys.